Amen. Well, what a glorious truth to start off the new year celebrating that Jesus has paid it all. What is a joy to be uh, with you here this morning and to now reside in this city with you all. It is a, a great joy and honor uh, for us. If you've got a Bible, hopefully you grabbed one or brought one, uh, please open up that Bible to Exodus chapter 33 for our time in God's Word this morning. If you've got one of the, the standard issue Compass HB Bibles, that's on page 74 uh, for you. Uh, and it's such a, a joy and a privilege for me to open God's Word with you all at the start of this new year. And I'm so uh, humbled and honored to be able to serve God here in your midst. And, and so so thankful for the board of this church and for their prayers for, for me and for your prayers. And uh, it's, it's been a, a great transition from Texas here to Southern California. We're getting settled in our, our new house in Fountain Valley, and we are looking forward to all that God is going uh, to do. And uh, this time of year, I, I don't know if you've been around people that they like to start off the new year uh, by looking ahead to all that's going to happen in 2016. Maybe you have made some New Year's resolutions. Any, any people resolving to do anything in this new year? Anybody making New Year's resolutions? Maybe a few of us. The eager amongst us have done this. You guys are at the 9 o'clock service, so I thought all of us would be resolved uh, here, right? But this is a time of year where this is very commonplace, right? We see people joining gyms, people, uh, you know, resolving to eat healthier, making a plan, thinking about this upcoming year and saying, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns and ride it. And there's, uh, in, in, the, in the lives of many, uh, there's full of hope and excitement as they think about the possibilities um, and I think this is a time of year where many people are thinking about something that could change in the upcoming year that could make it better, right? That could bring many good things, right? There's many who are looking at this upcoming year with great excitement and anticipation, but there's probably also uh, maybe even some amongst us today that when they think about the upcoming year, there's not a sense of excitement. Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe as they look back on 2015, it's been a difficult year, a challenging year, one where they've lost loved ones, and, and maybe uh, as some of you think about the task ahead, maybe you're even tempted to be discouraged. And, and so I think what we need to uh, think about this morning is what are we going to look to? What are we going to look to as the thing that is going to make this next year better, that is going to bring change, that is going to bring hope as we look forward to 2016? And I think that in this account of, of Moses and his interaction with the Lord that we see here in Exodus chapter 33, I, I feel like we get instructed in, in, in an example for us to, to follow. And we're going to look uh, specifically this morning at verses 18 through, through 23. But before we jump into that text, we've got to realize that this passage comes right after Exodus chapter 32, which is uh, a very low point in the nation of Israel, right? God had been so faithful to this nation to bring them out of Egypt and to conquer their enemies and had brought them to the Mount Sinai and, and there on the mountain Moses had gone up and God was giving his law and his commandments to his special people that he had chosen and protected and that he was going to bring them to the land that he had promised uh, to them and while Moses is up on the mountain, uh, everything kind of goes south, the wheels fall off the wagon, as it were. And if you look at Exodus 32, uh, verse 1, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who has brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him, right? That's exactly what you'd love to hear uh, your people are doing while you're away as a, as a leader. And, and maybe even worse than that, uh, Moses' own brother, Aaron, in verse 2, uh, says to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears and your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And they all bring them to him and he fashions a golden calf. And, and they said in verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he builds an altar to this calf. And, and Aaron makes a proclamation and says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And he's talking about this image of this calf that they had made. I mean, come on, Aaron. I mean, what, what are you doing to us here? I mean, you're supposed to be the brother, right? You're supposed to be the one. And, and, and everything just, just keeps going worse and worse from there. And and it says that, you know, the people rose up and they worshiped this God and they sat down to, to eat and drink and rose up to play that they're just engaging in sin and, 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 Im- and immorality. And then Moses comes down and, in verse 15 and, and breaks the, the commandments uh, on the stone that, that God had, had given to him. And, and uh, it says in verse 20, it says, He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And the people are still breaking loose in, in sin. And, uh, and it says in verse 25, Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemy. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor and the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses in that day about 3,000 men of the people fell and even down in verse 35 it says the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron had made this is a, a very low point in the nation of Israel this is not a happy time this is not one where they're excited about the future and even as they think about leaving the the mountain it says um it says in verse 5 of chapter 33, Then the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, uh, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. And, and so God is basically going to tell the nation of Israel to proceed uh, to the land, but he is not going to go with them. That his special presence that had been with him is now, he is saying, is not going uh, to proceed with them. That that's perhaps the worst uh, of, of all of these things, right? And if you think about this, this is a, a terrible time where uh, as Moses even himself is, is looking towards the future, uh, he's got to be tempted to, uh, to be discouraged. But yet we see that he goes to the Lord in, starting in verse 12 of chapter 33 and he says, say, say, you see to me, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, Right? And, and so Moses wants to make very sure that God's presence is going to uh, continue. And so he pleads with the Lord. He, he pleads with the Lord on, on, on behalf of the Lord's glory and that the, this nation is his people. And, and in verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And, and Moses said to him in verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the, Lord, 
the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for I have found favor, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Right? And so there's almost this pause right here where uh, what Moses had gone to intercede and ask of the Lord, God has granted him that request. But then Moses makes one more request right, that I, we are going to look at. And so let me just read verses 18 through 23. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And here we see Moses, and, and, and he's gone to the Lord and, and brought his request before the Lord, saying, hey, Lord, if you're going to send us uh, on our own, if you're going to send me with these people and you're not going to go with us, if we're not going to be your special people, uh, don't send us up from here. Please go with us. And God is very good and merciful to continue his presence with the people. And it was almost like Moses could have been done at that point. But he goes further and he asks more of the Lord. And his request is, show me your glory. And as Moses is thinking of all that's needed to accomplish the task in the time ahead as they proceed away from Mount Sinai, he realizes that there's something that he needs to look to. There is something that he needs to behold if all of this is going to happen, and it's God's glory. And so he asks the Lord, he says, please show me your glory. He's asking the Lord, show me your weightiness. Like, show me the the amount of of worth and honor that you have, right? Show me how great you are. Show me how majestic you are. Lord, I, I need to have my view of you enlarged. I need to see you as more glorious and, and, and more amazing than even I have uh, before you. I want to see it. I want to I see it all. And I think that this request that Moses makes is the same thing that we need today. It's the same thing as we think about this upcoming year and, and all that God has called us to do and all that he's going to accomplish. We need to have a higher view of the Lord. We need to be bringing this same request to God and saying to him in 2016, show us your glory. Impress us. Show us how majestic you are. So let's get this down. If you're taking notes on your note sheets, let's get this down as point number one, that you, in this upcoming year, you need to ask God to show you his glory, right? That needs to be a request that you bring to the Lord. God, show me your glory, right? In a, in a time of the year where so many people, right, they want to look to themselves, right? They want to look to their own abilities. They want to put confidence in themselves. They're thinking, I'm going to schedule out my time in the new year, and, yeah, you know, I'm just going to work my calendar, and I've got a new app that I downloaded, and 2016, we're just going to take it down 
right? Maybe that app's even made by Google. I don't know, right? right. And, and then you're going to find out that, hey, there's going to be appointments that need to be shifted around and, and you're not as efficient as you'd like to be or there's times where you're sick or your schedule isn't going the way that you want or your, your boss puts some extra demand that you weren't anticipating or, or maybe some people want to look to some other person and put their hope in that person and say, well, hey, this is going to be the year where, where my kids just behave and they you know, they honor me as their, as their parent. Or this is going to be the year where my husband treats me the way that he should. And, and it's just going to be wonderful. And, and, and people will uh, be disappointed by that. That this is going to be, that maybe some people are thinking, this is going to be the year where I'm just going to have enough willpower to get it done. In 2016, I have joined a gym. I've got that little fob on my key ring. And I am going to go there and have energy and be fit. And, and pretty soon, you know, February is going to roll along and you're going to be one of those people that likes the idea of going to the gym and has a gym membership, but it just doesn't happen, right? Like so many uh, people, right, that we need to be very clear in what we're looking to in 2016. And what we're looking to is not another person. What we're looking to is not our own abilities. We need to fix our eyes and ask God to reveal in greater and deeper ways his glory in 2016. This is more important. Not that there's anything wrong with resolving or, or wanting to put forth more effort towards a certain thing. We all should be, be doing that, but that effort will not be uh, ultimately successful unless we're fixing our eyes on God and his glory, right? This is something we need to ask God to do for us, that he needs to reveal himself. He needs to show us how great he is. And this should be really the desire of our hearts. If you look all throughout the Bible, this, this desire for the Lord, this, this lack of satisfaction of, hey, I, I know the Lord to a certain extent right now, but I'm not satisfied with that. I, I want more. I want to see more of God's glory. I want my view of him to continually be getting greater and deeper and richer as I go throughout this year and throughout this week. I want more. I want to see God's glory. And so I, I just want to encourage and exhort you this week that this is something that you need to be asking God to do for you, right? That maybe even like tomorrow morning when you wake up, right, before you get into your schedule, before you start thinking about, you know, the work week coming up or, or the, the things on your to-do list or what's going on in your family, maybe you just need to start out tomorrow by, by directing your attention to the Lord and asking him, God, today, would you show me your glory? Would you impress me, Lord? Would you, would you so fill my mind and my affections that, that I want to think about you, that, that, that you're just, I can't push you to the fringes of my mind or of my heart today, that these other things that are going to come at me throughout the day, or that they wouldn't displace you, that they wouldn't be able to push you out of my thoughts, that I would continually be focused on you because I see you as so majestic and glorious that I want to. That that's the desire of my heart. The plea that Moses need, makes needs to be our plea. Right? And so if we're asking that from the Lord, and that's what you should be asking God to do for you, and, and we should be asking God to do for us as a church body and in our city, what is that going to look like? Right? If, if we're asking God to do that, how will we know when God has answered that request? And let's get this down as point number two on your notes. is Let's anticipate how we will see 
it, right? Anticipate how you're going to see it. If we're asking God to reveal his glory and to show his glory, what's it going to look like? What's it, what's it going to, what's it going to, uh, how are we going to be able to, to, to know w- w- when that prayer has been answered? And Moses, we're not exactly sure what he was anticipating, but Moses had been one who'd been familiar with manifestations of God's glory that were unique and special and impressive. I mean, even as we we think about Moses encountering God at the burning bush, right? That, that God had, had allowed this bush to be burning but yet not consumed and Moses was drawn to it and there God met with Moses and it was a holy place and God commissioned him to the work that God would have him to do. Maybe Moses is thinking, hey, give me another burning bush or the glory of the Lord would proceed before the nation of Israel, right? That the, that the cloud of glory would proceed before the nation and would lead them throughout the wilderness in a, in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by, by night. Maybe, maybe as, as Moses is thinking about it, and he's saying, okay, we got this settled now. Uh, we know that God's presence is going to go with us. So where's the cloud? Let's, where are we going here? Let's, let's, let's proceed. Show me your glory. We're not exactly sure, uh, but it seems as if he is asking for some kind of visible, uh, you know, something that he can behold with his eyes, manifestation of God's glory. And God really saves his life by not granting him his request. Look at what God says to him in verse 20. He says, but God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now, obviously, Moses had a relationship with God where they were communicating uh, very closely. Uh, but, but for Moses to be able to see the full manifestation, for God to really open up everything and, and, and display it all, would have consumed Moses. That us, in our, in our fallen state of humanity, to be able to behold the glory of the Lord in its fullest extent is not something that we're capable of handling at, at this point in, in history. I, mean, I think of even Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, where uh, Isaiah gets some, some sort of manifestation of the glory of the Lord, that the train of, of God's robe is even filling the temple, and the whole temple is filled with glory. And, and that's not even the, the full manifestation, but, but even there, Isaiah is freaking out. Isaiah is saying, woe is me. He is shrinking back in fear. And so for, for God to grant this request uh, w- would have consumed uh, Moses, he, he's saying to Moses, I, I, your anticipation, if you're expecting to see the fullness of my glory, that's not possible at this time that you would be uh, consumed. Your anticipation is not correct. And there are many people in our society today, and even many people in many churches, that they are still looking for some sort of visible manifestation, right? They want to see glitter falling down from the from the ceiling, and then we'll know that God's presence is, is with us. Or I just want to have some kind of feeling inside of me. I want something warm, something comfortable, something fuzzy, and then I will know that God is with me. I will feel his presence, right? That, that, or I want some sort of impression, right? There's so many today that are seeking uh, something like that, and we need to see very clearly what God says that He will do. How will God answer this request that Moses has made? How will He show His glory? Look at verse 19 together, and He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show 
mercy. I'm not sure if this was exactly what Moses was anticipating, but this is the way that God in his perfect plan that he knows best how to show his glory to Moses. And this is what God says I'm going to do. I'm going to let my goodness pass before you, right? That if we're asking God to do that, how are we going to see it? We're going to see it. Write this down even underneath this on that second point of your notes. But we're going to see it in his goodness, right? That we are going to see God's glory in his goodness. That's what God himself says. I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. And this is uh, what, what sets the true God apart from many people's perception of God, that so many in our society, when they think of God, they don't think of him as being good. They think of him as, as being a, a dictator or corrupt or a miser or something that somebody that hasn't given them what they have wanted or given them the life that they have they've dreamed of but a fundamental characteristic of our god is that he is good right that god is a good god right that that is a fundamental characteristic of who he is i think even of hebrews 11:6 that without faith it's impossible to please the lord and the one who comes to him must believe that god is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him, right? That is so crucial for God's people that we know that our God is good, right? And the nation of Israel, they, they had experienced God's goodness, hadn't, hadn't they? I mean, if you just think even of what Moses himself had experienced, right, of his life being preserved from being killed even as a, even as a baby and then, and then to be sent back from God, from the wilderness to Egypt as God's leader of his people to lead them out and to, to see the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and how God had, you know, orchestrated these miraculous plagues that, you know, no one would have thought that the nation of Israel could have been set free uh, from, from Egypt, but yet God shows his power that he is greater than the nation of Egypt, and, and, and they're rescued, and they're, they're set free. And not only are they just going to be set free uh, to go to the land that God had promised to give them, but on their way out, God said, you are going to plunder the Egyptians, right? That after the last plague and the firstborn have been wiped out, if you remember the story, that, that basically the, the people of Egypt are begging the Israelites to go. They are begging them to leave and even giving them their treasure on their way out the door. And the nation of Israel leaves with great, with great wealth uh, amassed. You know, if, if you're looking for the, the lost treasure of Egypt on some invisible map of, that's on the back of the Declaration of Independence, you're not going to find it there. The nation of Israel, they took it, right? They've, they've got it. God uh, allowed them to plunder the nation of Israel. And then he brings them to the Red Sea and they begin to fear and they begin to, to worry about what God has done. And then God shows his goodness again by parting the Red Sea and the nation of Israel goes through on dry ground and uh, the armies of Pharaoh won't want to go in after them and then the, the waters collapse and, and in one decisive moment, God earns the victory for his people and, and, and his people rejoice and his people sing of his of his goodness, and, and then they're in, the, uh, they're in the wilderness, and there's no food, and so God provides water from a rock, and he provides uh, manna on the ground, a bread-like flaky substance that's there every morning. It tastes a little sweet. Sounds like a donut to me, right? I, I don't know about you, but if there's donuts on the ground every morning, I'm saying God is good, right? This is, this is good, right? And that's what God, God says, that all throughout even Moses' life, that that, that he had been so good, he had displayed his disposition towards his people, but it had even gone back 
in the nation of Israel much further than that, even back to the founding of the nation of Israel. If you want to just write down uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, where the Lord says this about the nation. It says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, right? His special people. That's what Moses is saying. It is not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. Like, how few can you get? You can get one, right? That's like the fewest. Abraham, right? One guy that God goes to and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, right? Your descendants are going to be like the sands on the sea and the, and the stars in, in the sky, right? One, one guy, right? And it's not because Abraham is this impressive guy. It's not because he's already built up this, this family and this lineage. He, he's, he's yet without children. His wife is barren, right? But, but God says, I, I'm just going to choose you, right? There's nothing in you that's intrinsic to you that makes you valuable to me, but I'm just going to choose you because I'm good. Because that's who I, I am, right? Because I am a God, a good God, right? Abraham doesn't deserve anything, and God shows up and says, here's what I'm going to do for you. And that's the same thing we see in our lives, right? That there's nothing valuable in us, right, that makes us worthy of God's attention or of his love or of his salvation, his mercy, and his grace. But God is willing to do that because he's good, because he delights to show off his goodness, right? He delights to allow his goodness to pass before us. All of us have rebelled, yet God is good, right? And, and God's good in, in a lot of ways even to his enemies, right? I mean, we've got a forecast for this week, do we not? Right? Have you guys seen this, that there's supposed to be some rain? Right? I've been you know, reading from Texas about a thing called a drought here in Southern California, right? So, you, you know, hey, praise the Lord, right? And I'm pretty sure that that rain is gonna fall on the just and the unjust, right? I'm pretty sure it's not only us in here who are going to get our lawns watered and everything, right? That's going to be uh, God's goodness displayed to, to all, even, even those who hate the Lord, right? In-N-Out Burger is available to Christians and to non-Christians, right? Uh, God, God is good, but he's even better than just being generally good, that, that he has made a way of salvation uh, possible through his son, Jesus Christ. It wasn't because we were good. Uh, he said, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son as a baby boy to live the perfect life that that no human has lived, right? To be able to be an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord that that could take the place of our sins, that the punishment that we deserve could be put on him. And, and, And for those who are in Christ, his goodness and his mercy are chasing us all the days of our life. They are literally running us down and tackling us day after day after day, right? And we see it. Don't, don't you see it? If you've been a Christian for for any, any number of years, you've, you've seen this, right? And we see that even as we go through trials, right? That even in the midst of a trial, even in the midst of a hard thing in our lives, that God is good, right? That he is refining us, that he is drawing us to himself, loosening our affections for the things of this world and centering our gaze on him and his glory alone. God is good, is he not? I mean, and, and I, I'm just so thankful uh, to bring my family to this church where that has been the resounding theme that, that as we've learned about this church, that everybody is so excited about how good God has been to Compass Bible Church, Hunting, Huntington Beach. And it's just such a joy uh, to be able to continue to anticipate that, that in the, in the upcoming years, we are asking God to show us his glory, that he's going to do that by continuing to show his goodness 
to us in our lives, in our, in our church, in our community, right? And then he says more. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you in verse 19 and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now, uh, that, that, there's a little bit of distance for our understanding of this because in America, in our society today, names don't have a lot of meaning to them, right? When, if you're a parent and you're naming your kids, maybe, maybe you actually did some research on what names mean or you picked a biblical name or, or maybe you just picked a name that you liked. Maybe you just picked a name that sounded good to you and kind of fit with the names of, of your other kids, right? When, you know, even you were introduced to me, right? Pastor Bill, oh, obviously that's from William. Oh, that means protector. Oh, okay, I see, right? That's what you were all thinking as, as we came up. up here. No, right? That's not at all what you were thinking. Or Bobby, right? My, my beloved older brother, Robert, right? His name means bright fame. I mean, you know it, right? You, you've, you've seen it. Right? In our society today, um, our, our names don't have necessarily as intrinsic meaning as, as names did in, in the Bible, right? Then when God is, is saying, I'm going to de- declare to you my name, I'm going to proclaim my name to you, he's not just saying, hey, here's my name tag, the Lord, right? That's not, that's not what he's doing, that he is revealing something that says something about who he is, right? And his name, uh, as he says it here, you'll see it translated in your Bible uh, probably right with all capitals, right? Every every uh, letter is capitalized, right? That and that's the name Yahweh, right? That's the same name that God revealed to Moses from the burning bush. I am, right? That that right there um, is God revealing His glory, right? Let's let's also see this that we're going to see God's glory and God showing us in who He is, right? So that's our second sub point for number two. And we're going to see God's glory in who He is, right? That. You know, show me your glory, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I'm going to tell you about myself. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about who I am, my essence, my characteristics, right? We are going to see God's glory when we understand who he is more clearly, right? What makes him him? A lot of times we refer to those things as God's attributes, right? And even in his name, Yahweh, I am, he's telling us something about himself, that he exists. He wasn't created. He didn't have to be born. He has always existed, right? He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He isn't improving. He isn't saying, I am becoming. I'm getting better. No, I I am, right? That God has been absolutely perfect at, at all points, even before time existed, right? That he doesn't change. We see God's glory revealed when we see his character revealed. That, that even just thinking about who God is and his characteristics that make him him, there is an intrinsic glory to that. Right? His character shines glorious. And even after this, God highlights some of his favorite character qualities about himself. He says, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Right at a time in the nation of Israel where there is, was great sin, what a, what a joy for Moses even to hear uh, God's characteristics of mercy and grace for those characteristics to be put on display. Right, for God to proclaim that I'm merciful, I'm gracious. Right, that's part of who I 
am, right? This is kind of where God gives the preview. And if you turn down to uh, Exodus chapter 34, just down to the next chapter, we see this event that God says, I'm going to do this. We see it actually happen. And it says in verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, right? But then he even goes further than that. He says, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, right? And he expands, he even goes into more depth. He says he's slow to anger, that God doesn't fly off the handle, that he is very patient. I mean, isn't it some of you, your testimony uh, that you appreciate and, and glory in the fact that God was slow to anger with you? I mean, isn't that all of our testimony that at our first instance of sin that God did not strike us down at that very moment as we deserved to be struck down for our rebellion against him? But he's slow to anger. He's very, he's very patient. Maybe some of you, your, your testimony is, I lived long in sin. I lived long in rebellion against the God of the universe, but he was slow to anger, right? He allowed me to live. He preserved my life so that I could hear the gospel and so that I could be saved from my sins, that I could be given new life in his son, Jesus Christ. He says he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, right? That his, his love, it, it isn't just kind of there. It's overflowing. It's, it's abounding. It's, it's lavish. It's, it's generous, right? And, and, if, and if you've walked with the Lord, you know. You know that his love abounds, right? It's there every morning, right? He's faithful. He's good uh, through every trial, through every circumstance. And he says that it's not just good for a few people, but he's keeping steadfast love for thousands or to the thousandth generation, that there are going to be many, many people throughout uh, the course of history that God is going to show his steadfast love to. It's not limited to a few, but people from every tribe and tongue and nation will know the steadfast love of the Lord and that he is a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. I mean, praise the Lord, right? That part of God, who he is, is that he does forgive, that he has mercy and grace available even for those who've wronged him and rebelled against him. Praise the Lord that he forgives, amen? Amen. Amen. And I think for many people, this sounds good and glorious up to this point, but he says more after that. Uh, He says in in, in verse 8, you see, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the ch- children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generations, that, that God is a just God who, who punishes sin, that sin has consequences. And a lot of people today, they don't want to believe this. Uh, they want to create their own version of God. Maybe they want to you know, ex- get excited about the character qualities up until that, but in the, in the text there, but they don't want to glory, they don't want to see God's glory as God wants to reveal himself, saying, but, but I'm also going to visit iniquity on the guilty. I'm also going to punish the guilty. People are not going to get away from the punishment that they deserve to do. And when people, they want to take half of God, they want to take half of what God has revealed about himself, they really rob God of his glory, right? They really let the air out uh, of all that, all that should be pumped up and seen as, as rich and, and beautiful and glorious, right? That even God's mercy and his grace, if there's no punishment, if, if there's no reckoning, if, if we're not going to be called to account, if we're not going to have a, to give an account to the Lord for our sin against him, then his mercy and his grace really aren't that big a deal, 
right? They're not really that glorious. They're not really that precious or that worthy of, of being gloried in and rejoiced in, right? But when we see God as, as he really is, as he's revealed himself in the pages of scripture, then we see his glory. Then his, his mercy and his grace are beautiful and, and treasured, right? And his, and his justice is treasured and glorified and, and worshiped, right? That it, it, this year, we need to spend time really thinking about who God is. We need to meditate on his character and, and really all of his character, right? We can't just settle on one or two of our, his favorite, our favorite characteristics of him and neglect uh, the rest of what he has said about himself that we need to think about his attributes, right? Maybe even a, a, a good way for you to start off this new year would be for you resolving that, hey, I really want to get to know God better as he's revealed himself in his word. And maybe, you know, even above and beyond my normal just reading of his word day after day, uh, maybe I even want to do some extra study that I want to, I want to really like look at something that will help me to, to see all that the Bible says uh, about the Lord and who he is and his character. And a great book for this that's not terribly long or difficult, but just will point you to what the Bible says about the Lord is The Attributes of God by, by A.W. Pink. You can actually get one uh, in the bookstore after, after the service. That'd be a great resource for you to start off 2016 saying, hey, I, I really want to look to God. I really want to see his glory, and I'm going to do that by, by knowing who he is. But then we, we continue on back in Exodus 33, and we see that, that then he says, you cannot see my face in verse 20 and live. And he says, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. That, that even though uh, God is, is revealing his glory to Moses, there's also a concealing of his glory, right? There, there's also a, a protection that says you, you can't handle this, right? And, and, and I think even Moses, as, as he's, Working through all of this in his mind, he's, he's saying, God's proclaiming to me that he is merciful and gracious, but yet the, the guilty will not go unpunished. How, how does this all work together? How can God show his mercy and his grace, but yet there still be a punishment for all rebellion against him? How, how is this all even possible? And we stand at a point in human history where we are so blessed where we have even more revelation from the Lord that reveals his glory, and I want to ask you just to turn over to the book of John that we've been uh, working through at this church over the last year, and we'll be continuing to work through in 2016. And let's just go back to, if you've if you got one of the Compass Bibles, page 886, John chapter 1, right, right at the beginning of this letter, and we look at, at verse 14, even what we've just celebrated this last week, and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Moses, you can't see God and live. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Right, and John, uh, let me just read for you, John chapter 14, verse 9, where Philip is talking with, with Jesus Christ, and actually in verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, like, show me. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
right? The, the clearest manifestation of God's glory that he has provided for us to look at is his son, Jesus Christ. How are we going to see God's glory? By looking at Jesus. We're going to see it in Jesus Christ. Write that down as another sub-point for number two, right? That, that all of God's concealing, that God had to protect the nation of Israel, right? And even as God is going to give them all the plans for the tabernacle and then the temple, right? That it's like, no, this is the holy place and the, the holy of holy places. And there's this separation between God's people and his presence. And Jesus Christ, the veil of that temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And now people can be with God. And it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus where God's mercy and yet his justice come together, right? That, that God made Jesus Christ to be sin, right, for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Write down 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's where it says that. This is where it all comes together, that God's mercy and his grace and his justice all unite around the cross, that he punished him, right? That there was a punishment for my sin, right? That I, I haven't gone unpunished. It's just that the punishment didn't fall on me. It fell on Jesus Christ who took my, my place on the cross, that Jesus bore it for me, that instead of God's punishment, that through Christ I have received his mercy and his grace, right? And I think there's a, there's a lot of people in, in our society, in our community, and maybe even some of you in this room today, as, as we think about this concept of God's glory, uh, or maybe you're new here, this is your first Sunday, um, is that you see other people that are enthralled with the Lord and who are excited about him, and you can see that God has this weightiness in their life, that they're fixated on his, his glory, but maybe that's not really you yet. Maybe you've kind of seen it happen in the lives of other people, but it hasn't really rung true in, in, in your life as well. Perhaps it's because you haven't really met Jesus yet. Perhaps you really haven't come to know the glory of God that has been revealed so clearly to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you don't really believe that God is going to punish you. Maybe you, you don't really think that you're that bad or, or that you haven't broken as many of God's commandments as you would need to in order to deserve punishment. But honestly, friends, if, if we've broken even one of God's commandments, we're just as guilty as if we've broken all of them. And God will not let the guilty go unpunished. With a fury and a fire, he will punish those who rebel against him. Right? But there's a place where you can be safe and I can be safe, and that's where that fire is already burned. Right? That's where his wrath has already been poured out in full measure on his son Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. When we look at Jesus, we are seeing God's glory. His glorious display of his perfect attributes, a plan that he has set forth and built up all throughout history so that we would see his glory, right? So that our eyes could be opened to his majesty and his worth and the, the things of this life would, you know, turn strangely dim in the light of his glory, of his grace. That's what we need to look to. That's what we need to fix our eyes on in the year ahead in 2016. It's not ourselves. It's not our own abilities. It's not what we can accomplish, it's God's glory. It's God's glory in his goodness, in his character, in his son, Jesus Christ. So what does this look like practically? Number three on, on your notes is that we should seek to see his glory in his word. Right On an ongoing basis, day after day, week after week, as we proceed throughout this year, right? there's definitely going to be things that God brings into our lives that, that he just displays his glory. But where are we going to see his goodness? Where are we going to see his character? Where are we going to see his son, Jesus Christ? It's going to be in this book. 
It's going to be in the Bible. It's going to be in his word. You'll find it in the Bible. Write down uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, you can even turn there to page 1001 uh, with me. Hebrews chapter 1, where God talks of his son and says the following. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You want to be more impressed by God? You want to have God have a greater weightiness in your life in, in 2016, you got to be looking at him. you got to be beholding his glory put on display as he reveals himself in the truth about himself and the full truth about himself in his word. That we're going to meet God, right? The reason we read the Bible is not just to get a list of to-dos. It's, it's because we want to know our God. Because we want to know him. We want to, we want to know his character. We want to see his glory revealed in his scripture. So do you got a plan to do that in this upcoming year? You got a plan to be in God's word to make this? Maybe a, a, a very important resolution is that this is going to be the year where I, I'm more fixated on God's glory in his word than I ever have been before in my life. Even if I've been very fixated on it in the past, I want more. Right? I want to know God more. I want to have a deeper and richer appreciation, right? It's, we can't approach this as just I'm going to check it off and kind of go through my routine and forget about it for the rest of the day. Can't be only academic. If I'm doing a study that's very good, we want to get into the text and, and, and chew on the meat of it, right? Not only just information, but glory, right? We want to see God's glory. We want to know him through his word. And so I just want to ask you, are, are you planning on that? Have you already started as the new year has started? Maybe even today, tomorrow is a great, is a great day if you haven't already to, to resolve that. God, I want to know you through your word. God, I want to see your glory put on display as you speak. Right? In the same way that you spoke to Moses and you revealed your character and you revealed your goodness, I want to I see you speak through your word, right? That your spirit has written this book so that I could know you, right? In all of your your glory. And that, that brings us to our last point, that even before we end, I think that we should have an expectation. If you go back to Exodus chapter 34, that after, after this actually happens and Moses comes down uh, for, from the mountain, we'll see that, that this experience had a profound effect upon Moses. Even if you look down at, at verse 29 of chapter 34, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. That God's glory had kind of rubbed off a little bit on Moses. That it had, had a profound effect on him to the point where the people were almost saying, hey, that's, that's even too bright. We need to put some kind of veil on that. I'm almost afraid of, of this man, Moses, that has been beholding the glory of the Lord. And our last point, if this is happening, if we're asking God to show us his glory, if we're looking to it in the way that he has told us to look for it, as he has said he will reveal it, and who he is, and his goodness, and his son, Jesus Christ, we should be expecting, our last point on your notes, if that's happening in your life, you should be expecting to become like God. Expect to become like him. 
right? Not in the sense that you're going to become a god or you're going to, uh, you know, become divine or anything, but his character is going to form your character, right? And not that our faces are going to shine, but if we're looking to the Lord, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, you can just write that down on your notes, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, uh, even uh, talking about this passage, he, he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That that's what's going to happen. If, if I'm looking at God and I'm seeing his glory and his majesty and his character, I'm going to be transformed through that process, right? I am going to be changed. I am going to be changed to become like him. Right? Maybe, maybe you've realized that there's some bitterness in your life, that maybe there's somebody that's wronged you and, and you're upset with them or angry at them. You look at the glory of God's mercy and of his forgiveness, how he is a God who forgives iniquity and sin. You know what that's going to do? Looking at that, thinking about that, meditating on that in your own life, it's going to make you a forgiving person to someone else. You're, you're going to be willing to forgive even when someone doesn't deserve to be forgiven just like you were forgiven when you didn't deserve to be forgiven. Right? You realize maybe that what other people think of you has, has weighed too heavily in your thoughts and in your life this last year. Looking at God's justice, right? That uh, we got to think about what God thinks of us and our character and our behavior. That, that's going to help you to fear the Lord in 2016, right? Rather than fearing people and what they can do to you and what they think of you. That's what's got to happen. That's what we, we want to we encourage and plead with you to, to do in 2016 is to play, pray to the Lord. God, show us your glory. Show me your glory. I, I want to see your character. I want to see your perfections manifested and your goodness manifested in such a way that I'm so impressed with you that I can't look away, right? And that you just stay so central to my heart and my thoughts and my life that, that nothing could pull me away from you, right? And God will be shown to be greatly glorious and majestic and, and honorable as we do that. So let's make that our, our cry as we enter 2016, right? Let's make that the anthem that we as individuals and corporately as a church body that we are saying, show me your glory, right? We've seen it this last year. We've seen all that God has, has done, but we want more. We want to see more of God's glory. We've seen God do great things. Now we want to see God do more great things for his glory this, this year. God, we want our view, which is high of you now, to be even higher in this, this upcoming year. We want to see you as more glorious. We want to see your glory shine through your son, Jesus Christ, as you call people to yourself and you bring them to repentance and faith and, and they get saved. God, would you show us your glory? Would you ask God to do that? He will do that. He is so faithful to answer that request. Let me pray as, as we conclude together and ask God to do that. God, you have been so faithful to reveal your glory. Lord, you uh, have created the world in all of its majesty and all of its glory uh, to point to you, Lord, to point to your majesty and your glory as the creator of these things, Lord, that you have sent your son to redeem us, Lord, so that your mercy and your grace and your justice could be put on display, Lord, and it's our heart that we want to see you, Lord, we want to see you as greater and richer and deeper than we have before, Lord, we want you to be more glorious in our eyes and in our thoughts, and so, Lord, would you, would you show us your glory, Lord, what you were so faithful to do to Moses, would you continue to be faithful to do each and every day, 
Lord, keep us faithful to be looking for it and to be asking you for it. And Lord, we just pray that 2016 would be a year where you are greatly magnified and honored, that you show yourself to be who you are in all of your majesty and glory. And Lord, that we would worship you as a result of it. And help us to do that even now as we sing to you, we pray. Amen.